3: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Sports, a channel on the New Books Network. My name is Keith Rathbone, and I'm coming to you live from Macquarie University in sunny Sydney, and I'm here today with the authors of CTE Media and the NFL, Framing a Public Health Crisis as a Football Epidemic, out from Lexington Books in 2019. Those authors are Travis Bell, Janelle Applequist, and Christian Dotson-Pearson. Travis Bell is an assistant professor of digital sports and media in the Zimmerman School of Advertising and Mass Communication at the University of South Florida. Janelle Applequist is an assistant professor of advertising in the Zimmerman School of Advertising and Mass Communications at the University of South Florida. And Christian Dotson Pearson is a speech instructor at the University of South Carolina and an instructor in broadcast and production technology at Central Piedmont Community College. Thank you all for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us.
3: Now, I'd love to start off by asking you all how you developed this project. So what are the things that first attracted you to the issue of CTE in the media? And also, how did you develop a project that had three authors? Because I think that's somewhat um, unusual for people working in other fields.
1: Sure. So I think um, what's What's interesting is I almost feel like CTE found us um, in this unique way. Um, I guess it first started when uh, I was working on my PhD in a health communication class and started working on a content analysis about the movie concussion uh, and how did media frame <clears throat> Ben and Malu, uh, the NFL, uh, within the film itself. And so uh, Janelle and I worked together at, at University of South Florida and. Uh, I needed a second coder for the paper for the content analysis, and so uh, she was gracious enough to help me uh, and submitted it to NCA, the National Communication Association, was accepted for presentation uh, at the conference in 2016. And by way of that, in the process, we went and heard Benita Malu speak at the Strath Center in Tampa uh, right after the conference had ended. And so we ended up taking about five pages of notes each uh, about his conversation. And uh, Dr. Malu continually referenced the role of media in the process of CTE and misinformation and bringing it to the present and both in good and bad. Um, so that was the initial impetus of the idea of studying CTE. Uh, and then at NCA, we met with, Uh, One of the acquisition editors um, at Lexington uh, who was interested in the paper asked if we were interested in writing a book and like, yeah, sure, I guess. Why not? Um, And so then we started this uh, long voyage. um, But then I had met Christian at NCA the previous year by way of an email from uh, Andy Billings um, because of our common interest that he had learned about from each of us separately. Uh, and so he was kind and gracious enough to connect um Christian and I, and so that's how the three of us then got connected um but Christian kind of came to it from a different lens, which I think was such a valuable um addition to the book so i'll I'll certainly let christian uh, express her interest on in how this project came to be
0: so yes, to go along with um what Travis was saying, I actually was interested in c t e as well I was Probably in the third year of my program, and had to figure out that great dissertation topic if I wanted it to be done in four years. And so I was perusing, of all things, a list of classes that I could take at another campus and came across one about media advocacy. And I figured out that may be something that's different that can still examine the idea of concussions and CTE, but get it more so from a grassroots perspective. And so I remember. Just in the middle of trying to finish the dissertation, Travis told me he was working on the book with Janelle and asked if I wanted to um, go ahead and add along with it. And I said I would, but only after I finished writing because it was stressing me and I wanted to be done and actually graduate. So once I finished, I went ahead and started adding what I knew in terms of my project um, to the book so, A lot of emphasis on youth sports and the idea of how women and girls are viewed in this particular space. And then just again, how at the grassroots level, people, whether they're um, advocates or they're doctors, but people at grassroots level, how they're trying to inform others who are unaware of the consequences of CTE and concussions if they're not treated correctly.
2: And I guess my – I would say my research area, you know, when Travis and I had first met and we had coded for the project he talked about in his class and then, like he had said, gone and saw Bennett Amalu speak, I think the thing that really stuck out to us from Dr. Amalu's speech was the focus on the media but also the focus on the idea – and he kept reiterating – this is not – a concussion issue, which we both found ironic because he was there essentially promoting the film Concussion, you know, that was about him. And he said, you don't necessarily need to be diagnosed with concussions to develop CTE. It's about repetitive blows to the head. So Travis and I kind of looked at each other in that moment and said, hmm, well, you know, when you listen to the media talk about CTE, the word that you always hear associated with it is concussion When you actually look at how difficult it is for doctors to diagnose a concussion, um, that raises some definite complexities, I think, that we were really interested in navigating. My research area is more focused on health communication and media portrayals of health. So I was really interested in helping Travis and Christian's expertise in sports communication, um, gender, things like that. I was coming at it, I think, more from the respect of looking at CTE as a public health issue and how important it is that the media get this information right in what they're telling to the public because it's it's absolutely a life or death issue as as we've seen.
3: Yeah, that was um, for me, one of the most interesting uh, parts of the book was uh, as someone who considers themselves well well read in in sports studies, um, how little I actually knew about CTE. And how much of what I thought I knew was wrong. Um, so maybe uh, you all could talk a little bit about when you started this project, what were some of the major goals you had um, as authors? What are the things that you want the readers to take away?
1: Well, I think, the, I think what's interesting is uh, what you were just describing in terms of the lack of knowledge or, or what we think we thought we knew that was not right. Um, I know for me working through the book project that was the aha moment for me as one of the authors is what I've learned based compared to what I thought I knew um, coming in right my background as a sports journalist and having been in the media and uh, not really thinking through the process of how small bits of information told over time can then amplify into public knowledge and I think Uh, At least for me, that was one of the great outcomes from the book is trying to peel back a lot of that complexity and identify maybe here's some areas that we feel like media kind of did right uh, as sort of public advocacy, um, but also parts of what they did wrong on reporting science. Um, And I think that was one of the other great outcomes is like what effects can there, what effects can happen when media is reporting on science almost in lockstep as, as it's being revealed as a public health crisis. Um, and I think those were some of, I think, the great outcomes uh, in really trying to unpack confusion around what CTE is. And it still is very uh, very much a nebulous, misunderstood thing, but I think there's greater knowledge and conversations surrounding it, but there still is, uh, as Janelle identified that Dr. Amalu was mentioning when we heard him speak in Tampa that you know, the ultimate outcome is that it's not about concussions; it's about repeated blows to the head uh, and what long-term effect can that have, primarily on athletes, but making sure that we really unpack uh, other groups, like Christian mentioned about the uh, the gendered part of it uh, and lack of information or interpretation that that females, athletes, and military members and victims of domestic violence are all at risk if you suffer repeated blows to the head. That's the key connection.
2: I've been thinking, I don't know if you if Christian and Travis have thought about this. I, I've been thinking about this a lot in the past couple of days with all of the media attention surrounding coronavirus. So in the book we we draw the parallel between the media's portrayal of CTE and how they frame CTE. um, And we parallel that with big tobacco and HIV and AIDS. And so when you look at those two instances as case studies in the past of not only what's at stake with informing the public, but really how difficult it is to pick and choose what information you release to the public at what time, as all this new information, as Travis said, is continually coming out, because what you don't want to do is cause mass hysteria or mass panic. But in the case of HIV and AIDS in particular, we saw how that happened. Um, A lot of information was coming out at a rapid rate, and I I think we saw a lot of stereotyping um, because of that, and just that misinformation had a lot of implications. And so in the past few days, I've been thinking a lot about how what we review in the book with CTE mirrors a lot of what we're seeing with coronavirus as well. And so a lot of people have assumptions. Um, It's very easy when there is mass panic or hysteria surrounding an issue to get a good soundbite and just throw it out there. I think in the case of CTE, what we often see happen is that unfortunately, um, you can only diagnose it after someone has passed away. They are making advances where They're hoping that they will be able to diagnose it in living brains. But at this point, it's only after someone has died. And because football has such a strong holding in America, it has everyone's attention. So when someone that was famous, you know, that played professional football is found to have CTE, the focus of the headline and the focus of the story is often that player and glamorizing that player and their life. Um, Even though the symptoms of CTE often cause them to have a downward, downward spiral with a lot of bad behavior. Um, But the focus is often on the player. And so then there will be just a quick mention of CTE and it's always linked with the term concussion uh, or large part of the time is what we found. It's linked with the word concussion. And so there is, you know, a lot more that the media can do, I think, to make sure that they're properly educating the public on the issue.
3: Well, you, you, you bring heard. up the... I'm sorry, Christian, please I'm go sorry. ahead.
0: <laughs> no, I was going to say, I just agree with everything that both Travis and Janelle said, and then Janelle bringing up the idea of the coronavirus and all the information that's going around. It really just depends on where you live almost, too, as to what information you're going to receive. So that lack of consistency becomes an issue because if you're in Seattle, for example, where or in Washington State where they've been having, where they've had the success occur, you may find out that, okay, that's what's going on there, but they may not have, and they have like a certain setup as to how they want people to approach receiving testing or kind of doing a self-quarantine, but then you can go somewhere else and they may just say, well, you know, if you get it, just, just stay home and monitor yourself and then we'll let you know If you need to come in or you just call us and tell us what you're feeling like in the next seven to 14 days. And so with the book, we also were able to kind of point out that if the media is going to report on it, at least do so from a point of view that is responsible since it is their job to share information. So this way, if you are giving out this or if you're trying to inform people about the issue or the problem at hand, it can either be consistent and have people that are familiar with the source talk about it. Or if you're just trying to report it and not really care about accuracy, we're going to keep having these same kind of issues and discussions where people don't know which way to go and turn when it comes to learning more about CTE.
2: I agree with that. And I think it's interesting too, Christian, you brought up the idea of location. I think the also just the cultural considerations are really important. And we did um, we coded and tested for what sports or what other mentions were associated with CTE. So what was the context associated? And so in the United States, of course, it was overwhelmingly American football, but then, you know, rugby, for example, in Australia would be a huge, huge deal. And it, it just was massively underreported. And it's it's funny because a lot of this, and I think we we did a good job of this in saying this in the book, a lot of this is driven, you know, because the NFL is a huge huge business that makes a ton of money. And so it's got a lot of eyeballs in it. It's immensely popular. But unfortunately, that means in a context like this, um, only football players with CTE are really getting that coverage. And so the framing of the story is very sports focused and less focused on, you know, educating people. On on things that you can do, uh, you know, for example, not play football, which is pretty scandalous to say here. But I think more and more anecdotally, I've heard people say, you know, that they would never let their children play at this point just because there's such a fear surrounding it. But I I think that that's just an important consideration as well. We looked at this um, from a large perspective, but at the same time, we were looking at an American organization. Um, So future future work, I think that we could tackle would be looking at it from more of an international angle. I think that that would be certainly helpful for us.
3: One one of the things that I, I found, um, you know, really evocative in your project is, is uh, maybe unlike coronavirus, when the media is responding to football, they're, as you all are saying, responding to this already extant Um, cultural phenomenon within the United States and certainly one that helps frame, I I think it's fair to say, American conceptions of masculinity. So I'm wondering if we could uh, talk a little bit about what is the role that football plays in American masculinity and, and what was the media's role in framing that out even before maybe the media was writing about CTE?
1: Well, I think one of the biggest things... Uh, And I think this is I think this is where it was really helpful of uh, you asked at the very beginning about how the three of us came to this project. And I mentioned that uh, I think CTE kind of found us and I think in a way brought us together, um, largely because of the question you just asked in relation to masculinity and its uh, grasp hold that it has in the US uh, in sports, but especially in football, uh, in American football. Um, and I think that's one of those those tensions that's so fascinating about the intersection that sport has with media uh, globally, but within the U.S. in relation to football, like their rise was so parallel uh, in importance in the 1950s and 60s that they're like embedded with one another within the culture of sport and media in the U.S. And so I think all of that has kind of worked together over time to to frame and position football and and contact sport as this masculine thing. And like, you have to be tough and you have to play through it and you just got a ding on your brain and it's okay. You got to just tough it out, tough it out. Um, and I think that's one of the the things that we really try to outline in the book is for media or anyone to actually say, maybe you shouldn't consider playing football like even to raise that question is a slight tilt against the culture of masculinity and sport but then will we actually see the effect i think won't happen for a long time i mean you think about the like how much information do we have about smoking can kill you yet how many people still smoke and then they try to find a new way to smoke uh that's maybe less risky or less deadly okay, well, let's remove contact from practice. Um, let's consider rule changes. But we're not really getting at the heart of what will remove brain injuries is removing contact, period. Um, and to bl- to push back against that or even bring that into the question is the direct affront to masculinity that a lot of people within the U.S. don't want. Uh, and then you can pick the national sport within a different nation and frame it that exact same way. And the question can still be asked the same, like, will you actually consider not playing this cultural phenomena sport?
3: It's very, very much the case here in Australia with rugby where people will say, Oh no, we don't have those problems because we don't wear helmets. So people don't use their helmets as a, as a weapon. But of course they find CTE in people who, play rugby so explain that
2: (laughs) uh that seems yeah that's you just said that and i'm like oh no that sounds awful so (laughs) i mean i mean what we've found and i'll tell you what travis really did his due diligence on focusing on defining cte properly i i mean this this is something that's also been around since what travis the 1920s with boxing am i correct
1: yeah it was 1928 was the first I guess, diagnosed case of what they consider CTE, but it was called punch drunk uh, at the time. And for the next 80 odd years, it was pretty much just a boxing uh, phenomena, but it eventually became, it was named CTE, I think in 1949. It was the first time it was actually called chronic traumatic encephalopathy in a scientific publication. Um, But yeah, it it mostly traced to boxing for eight decades.
2: Yeah, and so... uh I mean, it seems it seems clear to me that not having a helmet puts you at greater risk, but that's only because, you know, we've been working with this project. But if you're going based off of what the media tells you, you know, you hear that football is such a contact sport and the helmet is, you know, you think of the helmet as protecting you. But really what the issue is, is not having enough support for the head and jarring the body in such a way that it causes this movement where the brain is moving around too much. And then you have the buildup of this towel protein. So I was actually really surprised. I think Travis and Christian were as well. Even the fact that we came across the idea that this isn't just a football problem. Um, We're seeing this huge now. It's a huge deal in hockey um, just because of the fights that they have. And you know they'll go at it and have that. But again, like Travis said, uh, victims of domestic violence, uh, anybody who's who's been hurt in that way, uh, veterans who have engaged in combat, It's a helmet is not necessarily going to protect you from this at all, as we've seen, especially with how many American football players have, have passed, essentially, as a result of this. So again, I, I think the, the issue of masculinity, but also this idea of almost a third-person effect... So that means, you know, it's going to happen to other people, but it's not going to happen to me. I think that is something that would be interesting to explore. Um, uh, Yeah, I, I think it brings up a lot of issues. And Christian did a great job in the book, too, of targeting the idea of gender, but also youth football. And so a big thing for us that we had considered when writing the book is the idea that the NFL obviously has a vested interest in protecting its organization, um, but they took it a step beyond that because the NFL for years was denying that CTE was even a real diagnosis, that it existed at all. And in the book, we kind of outlined the process of how they were very combative against it. When they finally came around and admitted that this was an issue, they started to do this huge PR campaign and push to focus on um, youth football, the future of football is what they call it. But if you if you look at that closely, it's it's pretty clear why they're doing that because those are going to be their future recruits. So they almost have to protect not just their organization as the NFL and the corporation that it is, but the very entity of the sport because they need children to continue playing football. They need college players to continue playing football because that's going to be the pool that they're going to recruit directly from. So there's a lot of layers to this that uh, you asked us in the beginning, how, how is it working with three authors? I thought it was great because we each have different expertise, but it's such a dense topic and so many things to consider when you're talking about the NFL, the health issue itself, the history of the issue, um, international concerns, gender concerns. There is a lot to cover that I think it, it adds a lot to the book and a lot of value that we have different vantage points, essentially.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez.
1: And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg.
3: much for me, at least as a reader, was without, because in the way you wrote, it wasn't clear who wrote which part. So, I mean, that's, that's in itself a triumph, I think, too, that (laughs) it was very fluid. Uh, um, But that there was um, almost a kind of branching effect out of this, especially um, once you start uh, discussing your uh, particular uh, analysis of the 700 some articles that you pulled out and coded. And then it kind of branched from there. So you could see, Oh, here's how they impact just a variety of different, um, variety of different, uh, fields and issues. I, I wondered, because I, like I told you all before we started recording, I'm a, I'm an historian by training. Um, so I, I, don't do this kind of media coding, but maybe you could walk us through, um, that part of the project. Maybe that's, that's obvious for people, um, in your school, but for me, it was like, Oh, wow, this is really cool. And it, mathematically demonstrable. It's not just qualitative. Okay. I need to learn more about these media methods.
0: Oh, wait, before um, I guess they jump in, just, I just want to add one thing for the helmets that was brought up in the previous point. I just think it's interesting that people think they protect you, but we saw in an NFL game last season that they can be used against you when we had Miles Garrett strike um, Mason over the head with it. And so it just brings up that idea They're meant to protect you, but they can also be used as weapons. And so it's just interesting how a helmet doesn't necessarily do like, you know, saying its job of fully protecting you because you can still be hurt with a helmet, whether it's on your head or in someone else's hand. But just that idea that wearing a helmet is supposed to protect you, it doesn't necessarily always work out that way because you can still receive some type of injury or go through some type of experience just from your head just being moved around, like Janelle was saying, and then just that impact and it being done multiple times throughout the day, throughout practice, throughout the season. So just something to consider when it comes to thinking about helmets in their protective state, so to speak.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, to build off that, then Keith, then I can answer the I can answer briefly about the, the coding of the things. But um, the idea of what Janelle brought up about the NFL messaging now. Uh, in the future football ad campaign for example so much is made of these advancements in technology and how the helmets and the equipment is making the game safer um and there there could be some validity to it reducing some impact but part of the issue that you hear from players is that the technology almost makes them feel like they have a shield around them um, because of these advances in technology so uh they then become more of a weapon with the advances in the technology in the helmet because there is maybe this reduced fear of uh risk because of this amplification of safety. Um so just I thought that was a wonderful point by Christian and just kind of connecting with what um Janelle was saying, but I'll just explain briefly the the coding part. So it actually started with um developing a code book that uh Janelle and I initially started working on, and then uh, based on the, the initial study that we did of the movie Concussion, trying to bring a few things um, out from that. And then uh, I remember Christian reading through the code book also with us to figure out what are the categories that are most important? What are we missing? How does this work? And then wanted to help have uh, a good learning experience for some students. So we actually had a handful of uh, undergraduate and graduate students um, sign up for a one course, uh, one credit course, um, to help in this coding process. And they actually helped a lot in terms of identifying maybe areas that were missing or needed expansion in the what we're actually looking for in the news stories. Because news stories be- can become so complex and one sentence might connect four different elements together. So I think really trying to unpack uh, how does media frame things through what it includes, but then by identifying what's included, we can then start to peel back the layers of omission. Um, and when we see you know, so few references to gendered sports and we see so few references to uh, not what's perceived as non-contact sports like cheerleading and gymnastics, um, but knowing that scientifically the amount of concussions and brain injuries from those activities in sports is really, really high uh, because of contact with the floor, with an apparatus, um, with other things, um, so I think uh, you asked about the the coding process it was It was a long process, just first identifying what articles we should look at, um, and we tried to get a really good cross section of u s based newspapers from the east and west coast, um, all from NFL markets to get kind of a good representation of media and sort of a snapshot of this twelve uh, year period that we pulled news stories from um, so it was very much a labor of love. Uh, I can
0: mm-hmm.
1: I can tell you that from working with the students and and, uh, and coding and anyone who else who has, who has ever done any form of quantitative coding of of a lot of content. Uh, it takes time and patience and dedication to want to make sure that we're doing it right, so that we're getting the right information. So that then we can, if we're if we're really holistically looking at what is framing and from the inclusion and exclusion of information and how is it positioned and connected together. Um, that was that's kind of a summary snapshot of, of how the coding process worked.
3: I don't, I don't, if somebody else wants to jump in on that, uh, jump in, but I, I can go on.
2: Go ahead. No, you can go on. I feel like he, okay. he did a good job.
3: Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, it was, um, It uh, the labor of it was very evident. And so it added, I think, a lot of empirical a support to what I think was, you know, already a kind of a uh, very persuasive story. I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit, since uh, you, many of you have brought it up. Uh, uh, I wonder if you talked a little bit about that gendered aspect of reporting. So how how was uh, CTE reported or not reported for for women's uh, brain injuries?
0: So
1: Krishna, I'll let you take the lead on that. If you want, go for
3: it.
0: Okay, so what I found both in the research for the book and my dissertation, it was interesting because there's already this idea that NFL players are going to have concussions because we see them hit each other day in and day out. But what was surprising to me in the research, um, I will not to speak for Janelle and Travis, but what was surprising to me was finding out that it's really high school Um, soccer, and it's specifically girl soccer where there are the most concussions reported, and it's because of the heading that they do. And so, as a result of finding out that they were at risk for injury the most, it was determined that some states would actually ban heading if you're under the age of twelve or thirteen, I believe, and then only after that would they allow you to head the ball. When it came time to talk about women and how they were, um related to their concussions and the diagnosis, it was, studies were showing that women would report faster than men would if they were feeling like they had concussions or symptoms. I know Travis mentioned earlier this idea that male athletes need to continue playing if they feel the uh, feel the need to, if they're hurt, they don't want to report it. And studies were actually showing that that is the case, that If a young girl player got injured or felt dizzy during a game, she was quick to just report it and say, you know, I don't feel good. I just need to sit out. But her male counterpart would continue to play the game because of this idea that he has to, because it's a man's sport or you're a man, you're supposed to keep playing through the pain. And so with women, because they self-report more, they actually are able to catch their symptoms a bit earlier and then they can get into the recovery process a lot sooner than guys would. Guys may delay the process because they don't want to let their team down. They want to make sure they're there for that final type of play of the game. But then when it's time for them to go through that recovery period, it takes them longer to do so because they've been exposed longer. They haven't allowed themselves to heal properly. They try to return too quickly. And so hopefully what people will find out from reading the book is that regardless of if you're a boy or a girl, man or woman, it's important to always report when you start to feel like you could potentially be suffering symptoms of a concussion because it's best to report and nothing goes on than to not say anything. And then you have to end your career earlier. You're not able to play anymore because of these repeated injuries. So hopefully journalists will also realize that when they're talking about concussions in general, they don't lump Um, They don't lump everyone together, but instead take the time to actually do their due diligence and say, "Okay, so girls are having concussions at this rate, their injuries or their rate of return is this versus boys and men who are slower maybe to report. And so they're sustaining them at this speed just so people understand there is a difference instead of lumping everyone into one general category of, "Okay, you're all soccer players. You all have concussions at the same rate. You all play football you have it at the same rate. Oh, let's not forget about rugby players or those who do swimming. So just making sure they distinguish between the two is very important. So people understand that there is a difference and that you do have to look at the two differently um, when it comes to diagnosing, when it comes to discussing them, um, especially since studies also are showing that because women's brains are smaller, so they say, or they're an extra smaller, excuse me, that they're extra smaller that they can't really sustain injuries the same way. So for them, it's almost like they have to say something, or they run the risk of something else taking place as a result of their weaker necks and smaller frames in terms of their body structure.
3: Yeah, I was um, really struck in that part about the kind of double, I felt like a kind of double bind that a lot of female athletes were in, or maybe a triple bind, where There weren't very many women's brains donated to the Boston lab, so they didn't have a lot of um, the same medical information. And uh, the story about the first female CTE person being a victim of domestic violence was just heartbreaking. Um, But then female athletes also, because the media doesn't pay as much attention to women's sports, don't get um, mentioned as much. And so there's less reporting on women who who might face risks of CTE. And then, of course, you know, this kind of um, just general ignoring of sports that are only geared towards women, like uh, cheerleading, which seems to have its own problems, you know, or, or gymnastics, which may be more geared towards women. So I was, I was uh, really fascinated by that chapter.
0: Yeah, they say that cheerleaders, although some may not consider it a sport, when you take into account their tumbling, the fact that they are trusting other people to hold them and then toss them in the air to do a couple of tricks or a stunt, and then hopeful that they will catch them when they come back down, if they miss them, then the only thing that's going to protect you from hitting at least the ground itself is going to be the mat. And even then, when you consider how high you were up in the air, the rate of speed at which you're falling, that fall onto a mat, though it's supposed to be soft and protective. Just think about how hard you'd have to hit it and then what could happen after the fact, especially if no one was there to catch you or didn't even attempt to catch you and you just go straight down.
3: Yeah. So you know, if they're not report, if, if media generally are not reporting on women and the risks for women uh, of CTE, there may be over-reporting on the NFL. Is that something that I'm, maybe I'm adding that, or is that, how, how does this link happen? That's, oh,
2: it's that, a that's a great, great question. Go
3: ahead, Janelle.
2: <laughs> no, I, I just think that's a great question. I'm curious to hear what your response is to it, honestly, Travis.
1: Well, I think what's, <clears throat> I think what's fascinating and I think what, what, one of the other things that I learned most—that's uh, really affected my teaching on how I teach media reporting now—is: um, Are we actually including not fair and balanced, not equal, but are we are we including all of the elements that we can possibly think of? Um, and what's fascinating, uh, sadly, is the point that Christian brings up about. Um, the higher prevalence of concussions in girls' soccer than boys, for example, Um, that story might get reported the day the scientific finding comes out, and then it's moot. But as soon as the first, we had one case of CTE with Mike Webster, and because it was the death of a Hall of Fame football player who had this, like, maybe the masculine identity in football as the center for the Pittsburgh Steelers during their Super Bowl dynasty of the 1970s. Like I think the fact that it was him uh just I mean what media did then to run with this, it was no longer like we could report on concussions every day. Um but it was the deadly impact I think that had media really grappling with this and wanting to take it and run with it, uh, that, that made it a football thing. Um, and along the way, I was like, you know, you picture like the football player running down the field and just, just trucking people and knocking them over. Like, that's what I feel like. I feel like it's the running back with media in its hand, running down the field and just knocking everybody else out of the way for the story because, because it was football, uh, in the U S. Um, and it's, like that's where I think it became such a gendered thing because it was football and football only. Um, And all of those other scientific findings about concussions, it was kind of like, yeah, but these people are dying. These people are killing themselves. Um, And then it became a suicidal thing. And it's like suicide is such a small outcome of repetitive brain injuries. But when, Junior Seau and Dave Duerson start killing themselves and leaving notes to donate their brains to science. Then that media narrative starts to circulate even faster. Like, wow, these people had the wherewithal right before they killed themselves to leave a note and say, something's wrong with my brain, please check it. Um, And so then all of that narrative just circulates and completely smothers um, all of the other potential gender things from coming to the fold. so it's it, it's a very complex process that media is very much intertwined in constructing this masculine narrative of death and destruction that's the outcome of football um and it's to the detriment of really bringing these other sports into the conversation as a risk that should be included
0: mhm
2: yeah and i think unfortunately i don't i don't want to say that the media had this intent but we are now in an era where, I mean, you're competing with a 24-hour news cycle at all times, and someone's going to break the story, and it's it's really become about the narrative. And so, unfortunately, these stories with professional football players have all the makings for just a very interesting narrative. You're talking about people who had everything, like Mike Webster, for example, um, have a family. The career brought them a ton of money, fame notoriety and to see essentially the downfall of that mixed in with what is arguably the strongest cultural phenomenon or social connection that we have in the U.S. football. I mean, it dictates. I, I, I was going to say one day of the week during an entire season, but at this point, at this point, it's Sunday. It's Monday night. It's Thursday night. Uh, now we're doing it internationally. It's, it's just huge. But then the flip side of that. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's just really it's really powerful, um, and to find out some of these details after the fact is heart wrenching and and just sad. And so I think sometimes those are the things that that can get lost. For example, um, Evan Hansen is a college football player, um, and he committed suicide. And before he went into the woods to commit suicide, the last thing he searched on his laptop was CTE. And so just hearing things like that, we try to be mindful in writing the book that these are real people and have real families and they're they're more than football players, you know, because somebody's life extends beyond their career. And, and we as the public know them as a football player. That's how people knew Mike Webster and the era that he was involved in. But to see the ramifications and the effects that something like this has on a family um, definitely hits home. And that's that's. It's a hard pill to swallow, I think. and But that also is why it's so important that the media get this right and not try to sensationalize it or try to just focus on the one sport. But I, I would argue, and Travis and Christian might disagree with this, but if this were, you know, uh, if it weren't Mike Webster, if that weren't the first person that had this, if it were, for example, a soccer player in the U.S. that no one had heard of, it never would have gotten the coverage that it did. It, it's a lot of this goes back to the idea of the celebrity and that notoriety. Um, and so I, I think that that's interesting as well.
3: And you all are not just talking about media reports. There's also a section of the book where you talk about film. So maybe you can tell us a bit more about the films that you analyzed.
0: Yes. So um, some of the films that we looked at were, as Travis was saying, Concussion, simply because that was perhaps the one film that brought everything to the public for people to kind of understand this issue on a larger scale. And I was also thinking about the Netflix documentary with Aaron Hernandez that came out pretty much at the top of the year. So That was interesting because you get three parts, which are about three hours each. And not only do we get to learn about, you know, his life as a patriot and how he came to be, but then we also see his decline. And Janelle was mentioning how we were very cautious with the language we were using to be respectful of families and the players, because we know that they're more than an athlete when it comes to discussing a topic like this. And so in the Hernandez documentary, it was just very interesting how they covered his entire life, his time when he was in high school, when he was growing up, how he became this very prominent football player. And then you see his downward spiral when he's in jail for committing the murder. Then they find out about the other double murder. And then we start to find out towards the end of that final part. So spoiler alert, if no one's seen it, we find out what happens right before he kills himself. But we find out that after that, that he actually was diagnosed with a level four. If I'm, if I remember correctly, Travis and Janelle just let me know if that's right or wrong, but the stage level, level which of level his
1: three, or stage three,
0: yeah, stage three, yeah, uh, CTE. And he was young. He was only 27. And that was something that was shocking, but it goes to show you that as long as he had been playing football, which was chronicled again throughout the documentary up until the time he ended up in jail, think about how many days, how many, Minutes, hours, you know, weeks, months, years, he's been just hitting his head and their repetitive hits. And when you think about the training that they go through during the summer and their summer camps, and then you play during the fall, and if you train in the off season, that's a lot of time for that action to occur. And when you bring again, a prominent figure like that to the mainstream or to at least streaming services for people to see it really does put into perspective how much attention is paid to someone who's a celebrity versus someone who may be a high school player who maybe isn't well known, but unfortunately they kind of had the same issue where they may have committed suicide because they felt like it wasn't enough for them to just play the sport or they weren't going to do what they wanted to make other people proud. So it's just really interesting how once that came up, we started hearing about it again and then it kind of trickled out. So, just the prominence of people is what kind of allows you to see and get an understanding about this issue and other subsequent issues that could occur.
2: Sure. And kind of going off of that, Christian, and I, I know that the th- I'm sure all of us saw this, um, in in players who are still living, again, going back to the idea of celebrity and the following that they have, uh, Rob Gronkowski tweeted something out a while ago saying that he knows he had cte and that he cured himself um the amount of coverage that that tweet got not only by the media but the following that it got by the public was pretty pretty incredible i mean the the voice that he has and the popularity that he has it's saying something like that is really problematic because CTE cannot be cured and it cannot be self-diagnosed. There's just a lot of things wrong with what he said. But the idea of him putting one tweet out there and the influence that it can have on public understanding becomes really important. Now, it became a great point of conversation and dialogue because, Travis, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was Chris Nowinski that tweeted back at him and replied and said, You know, you can't diagnose this, um, but I appreciate you raising awareness. He handled it really well, but it did start a conversation. But again, with the 24-hour news cycle and the instant nature of social media now, um, you know, it makes you wonder how many people in the public saw that tweet and then might, might have misinformation about CTE because it's coming from a professional athlete that has such a strong following. And so to think about that, is is also, I, I think, something that's really interesting as well.
1: Well, and I think one thing to also consider that uh, kind of tying in what Christian and Janelle are both identifying, and as we sort of think about tracing the the process of film, right, and the people involved in these films. So Chris Nowinski was the uh, leader of putting together a documentary called Head Games based on his book, which was a large part of Alan Schwartz's initial reporting in the New York Times. So, The connection between Nowinski's manuscript and Schwartz reviewing it, and then Schwartz sort of becoming a leading media person, publishing more than 100 stories in the New York Times about CTE, we think of that as sort of the grassroots part of this struggle in the media narrative. And then fast forwarding through League of Denial, the documentary that just tars the NFL for its mishandling of, of reporting of brain injuries, and then ending our film analysis with the movie concussion, all of those worked as sort of a a tidal wave against the NFL. But then one of the things I think even trying to advance all of this forward is a few of the things that we really grapple with in the, in the conclusion was right after Aaron Hernandez had been convicted and had killed himself. Uh, And in the conclusion, that's almost sort of where we, we end our story in the book but look at the role that that film has now continued to play in bring continuing that narrative of this degenerative brain disease in connection with football. Um, but that's sort of, I think it's almost kind of like the last bastion of the, of the really strong connection to the NFL specifically. And because Aaron Hernandez, the whole story was such a tragic finish for, uh, uh, Odin Lloyd, um, who was the guy who was uh, reportedly killed by Hernandez and then Hernandez taking his own life. Like we think about like how much worse can it get, uh, from U.S. media perspective. So I think one of the things we really grapple with in the conclusion is what will U S media do with this now? And I think it's going to continue to fade. Um, but as it continues to amplify in other nations in Canada with hockey in, uh, ireland with soccer and then now just recently um keith i'm sure as you know with uh, australian rules football um with is a graham um forgetting graham palmer thank you being the first diagnosed case in um, australian rules football i think what will be interesting now is to see how do these other kind of nationalistic media outlets grapple with this cte thing within their nationalistic sporting context and so I mean, the whole thing is fascinating um, to consider what role does media play in public awareness and then constructing it as a public health crisis in relation to the nationalistic identified sporting thing.
3: So as a final question, then I guess maybe since Travis, you've talked a little bit about this, uh, Janelle and Christian, what do you think is the future for reporting on on CTE? Is it more conversations about uh, return to play rules, or is it going to die die off, or is it going to internationalize or spread to other sports? What is the what's the ongoing discussion going to look like?
2: I think it's absolutely, we're going to see an uptick in the reporting internationally with other sports. And I, you know, I hate to say it, and I don't I don't mean this in a bad way. I almost hope that we see that because it means that the conversation is continuing. I think the diagnosis of CTE is absolutely something we're going to continue to see because it's about the effects of repetitive blows to the head in various sports, um, for veterans, for victims of domestic violence. Like we talked about, I hope that the conversation continues in the U S in a way that's not only centered on football. Um, I do not anticipate the NFL going away completely anytime soon. I think we will see a lot of changes though, and rules for return to play proper protocols that are put in place. Um, players being better informed about what it is they're getting into. I I think that's probably where we're going to start to see some changes, but I do think that the longer this conversation continues with the media, the greater the awareness will be. Um, And I would not be surprised if we start to see a little bit of change in the culture. And personally, I hope that we do. Largely surrounding some of the issues we discussed with masculinity and, you know, um, the idea that people think it's more masculine or more tough to stay in the game and that that's the appropriate thing to do. When you look at the the effects of that, not only on the individual after, you know, they commit suicide or whatever their demise is, it also leaves these family members behind who really are just left to deal with the effects of this. And so that's really sad. And so I hope that we can start focusing the conversation on on some other areas within CTE Um, by the media. I think that would be really helpful to help give a more holistic portrayal of what CTE is, how it's diagnosed, and the fact that it extends far beyond American football.
0: And I too am hopeful that the conversation will continue, but that when the media does so, they understand their responsibility, and then they go about informing and educating people Rather than creating a panic or a need to feel like if this happens and this is the only result that can take place. I feel like once people are educated and they're made knowledgeable about what's taking place, um, perhaps from the holistic perspective that Janelle just mentioned, that there can be change that occurs, but it can also be beneficial not just for the NFL or other professional sports or not just for youth sports, but for everyone Simply because we have access to this knowledge, we have access to tools. Whether it's social media, whether it's reading books, whether it's interviewing players or experts, or even members of just the general public or who have experienced this, just to get their their perspective and to understand that you know, with the proper training, with proper knowledge, we can see changes happen. And that way, instead of just making it a big deal when it's a person of celebrity status, that people will actually take it seriously when it's their friend or their neighbor and not just assume, well, you knew better, you could have done better when in actuality, maybe they didn't understand and didn't know. And so as long as the media takes their part seriously and does more than just give us buzzwords or sensationalize these issues, then there can be change. And hopefully that will then trickle down to return to play guidelines or figuring out how to assist veterans with coping with this new status or even those who have survived a domestic violence incidents, just helping them kind of see that there is life after this because it is possible. Just the media needs to make sure they're doing their part, just like they expect academics to do our part in providing quality peer reviewed research. We just want the media to be able to do the same thing and provide us with factual information. Great.
2: Right. And I and I th- I think uh, this is not going to be an issue where the NFL is going to be able to successfully self-regulate and make this better. This is going to have to come from higher ups in the government. It's going to be Congress. It's going to be some type of greater intervention that needs to take place. Um, it is not in the NFL's best interest to self-regulate at this point from a monetary perspective.
3: Great, great. Uh- thank you all very much for joining me for, um, listeners and for readers. Um, I want to also note that they, uh, that, uh, Travis and Christian and Janelle all, uh, have given us some in their final chapter, some, some great avenues for future research. So I hope that you all are taking up some of that and that other people, uh, read this book and take up some of that too, because it's clear that we need to know a lot more about CTE, how it's reported. And, um, that how different sporting uh, leagues and, and in particular the nfl respond to it so thank you very much travis bell janelle applequist and christine dotson pearson for joining me on new books in sports
2: thanks for having us it was great talking with you thank you
3: have a great day